All right, well, let's look to the Lord in prayer one more time before we look in His Word, all right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of your Word that speaks into our lives, and we pray that you might just uh, cause us to, uh, just to learn more about you today because of our time spent together. In Jesus' name, amen. I think we've all had that experience where maybe on a radio station we've heard the DJ or whoever is uh, speaking into uh, our system say, Okay, we're uh, giving uh, our audience an opportunity to call in uh, for their, their favorite selection, and we'll put it on the air. Well, sometimes preachers get that as well. Sometimes people will ask a preacher to speak on a particular theme, subject, or dilemma that's found in the Scripture, uh, or sometimes they'll just ask for a particular type of sermon. Well, last Lord's Day, if you're with us, you, you realize that that was a, a sermon I preached for you that I actually had been asked for all my life. 34 years, 35 years of ministry, I've always been asked to preach a better sermon. So last week, uh, the message was entitled, A Better Sermon, so finally I preached a better sermon. And I thought that might be the end of it, but this past week I got an email. His name will remain nameless, other than it's his initials are Brian Bora. But, he, but he, uh, he's in my life group, and he, he sent me an email. He said, I, I so enjoyed you having a better sermon last week. Uh, could you preach this week an even better sermon? So... I don't know if I can do that. But then I got a, a note from, uh, uh, from Bill Bannon. He, he shared a, a number of different stories with him. But one of the stories was this one I thought I'd share with you to begin. Uh, the preacher's five-year-old daughter noticed that her father always paused and bowed his head for a moment before starting his sermon. One day she asked him why. Well, honey, uh, he began, uh, proud that his daughter was so observant uh, during his messages, I'm asking the Lord to help me preach a good sermon. The response back was, well, how come he doesn't ever answer that? <laughs> so I've had a five-year-old daughter like that. Anyway, so I don't know if I'm going to preach a better sermon or even a good sermon, but we're going to look at a good portion of Scripture this morning. So if you have your Bibles, turn to the gospel, not the gospel, but the, the book of James, uh, as we're going to be seeing uh, as I've entitled, uh, a faith that's, ve- uh, that's really about working it at itself out. Uh, James is probably the most practical book in the New Testament. Uh, many have said it's the old New Testament version of the Old Testament book of Proverbs. It's also written by an individual. It's, it's somewhat unique in terms of his storyline and it, it, what brings him to a place like this to... Uh, be used of God to write the words of God for us, not only today, but also back then. Uh, there are many characters in the Bible that are known as James, at least four in the scriptures that are referred to as James. As you do the kind of the investigative CSI type of in, uh, work on who this author is, most come to the conclusion that this James was the half-brother of Jesus. And depending from your background, you're saying the half-brother of Jesus, how that can be. Well, Jesus was the older brother, uh, and there were children afterwards. We know that because the Bible speaks about his family and coming to him. You have that in Matthew 13. You have that in Mark 6. And, and so what James was, he had the same mother, but not the same father. Obviously, we have the Heavenly Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit, bringing life into the womb of Mary. But Mary afterwards had children. 
And so you had James in a unique position to see Jesus. We don't know how old James was compared to how old Jesus was during their lifespan. But you saw he had the opportunity to see Jesus in the home and in the neighborhood and see him mature in terms physically and mentally and socially, as the Bible talks about that in Luke chapter 2. But he also had an opportunity to look at this person who was so unique. And yet James, like the other uh, family, did not come to realization and conviction that Jesus was the truly the Messiah, the promised one from God. Can you imagine that, growing up with a perfect sibling? Did, did any of you have brothers or sisters that were perfect? Now, in the first service, I totally expected my brother Steve to raise his hand, but he, somehow he didn't do that. So I kind of had to instruct him afterwards, you, you know. But anyway, you know, we've never had that experience of having a perfect brother, a perfect sister that, that just demonstrate how life was to be lived uh, immaculately. But they did. And as we think about sometimes people who struggle with faith, uh, faith because they, they haven't seen enough about Jesus, think about Jesus' family. They saw all about Jesus. And yet their commentary before the cross was, after he would speak sometimes, that he has grown, gone mad. Even though they saw the miracles, heard about the miracles, saw his, heard his teachings, and yet they just could not believe. You know what was the tipping point? which really should be the tipping point for all of us, is that in 1 Corinthians 15, it speaks about Jesus appearing even to James, risen from the dead. And the resurrection is the point by which we go from wishful thinking about Jesus to being convinced that it was true that what he had said would come to pass. Now, as we think about faith, why should we believe that Jesus is the one we ought to devote our life to. Well, really, there should be two reasons. One is because he is truly the person he claimed to be, that he truly is the Savior God. In fact, Jesus even made that statement. Remember that very familiar one in John 14? I am the way, the, the truth. He was truth personified. But there are a number of things in life that are true, that we would believe the true, that really don't make much of an impact in our lives. There's some things that we just don't deal with and say, okay, it's true, but what does that have to do with me? Is that we believe in Jesus not only because believing in Him it, it is believing in something that is true, but we believe in something that works. It changes our lives. Paul put it this way, that when you become a child of His, you become a new creature. The old things pass away, behold, new things have come. And, and that's really the challenge for Jesus' followers, is to come to that point in your life where you not only believe it's true, but you live it out. And, and you see that it works. And faith should work, and we ought to work at working out our faith. And so God commissioned the half-brother Jesus to write a letter specifically to say, well, this is then how you should live. Now, it's a challenge for all of us to live this way out, but by the power of the Spirit living within us, by the instruction of His Word, by the fellowship of God's people, we can be people that live differently that live in a way that honors God and shows that He lives in us and work His way out through us. So with that as the intro, we're going to race through some things. In the first service, we, we had a few mishaps here and there, and also I knew I had more stuff than I probably had time to talk about, is that, that we might not get through everything, but we're going to look at some of the practical truths in the book of James. And, and if what I say is not practical enough, then go back again and read through James, because 
on every line, there is a, there's a statement say, this then is how you should live. Well, let's look at this morning, working out our faith. Let's get practical in what God wants us to do. Begin with James chapter 1, verse 1, and then we'll hit the main point, the first point. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to read the first verse because it's the first verse, but also because, just to think about it for a moment. Uh, you know, I only have one brother, and, and we've had some brotherly rivalries and things like that. And the last thing I ever want to say to my brother is, I'm going to be your servant. <laughs> I'm going to be your slave. And, and can you imagine that? I mean, James had gone to it from a person who did not believe but that his older brother was a madman. I mean, how, how could you believe all these things? The point where he, he surrendered his life to him, and now he said, I have... My life is to live for you. He was the servant, the bondservant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he writes, this is what I'm writing, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Our, our series is entitled Questions Asked and Answered. And throughout the week, sometimes we'll get questions. And in my life group this past week, one of the questions was, well, is, is, is Judaism or being Jewish, is that, a, is that a religion or is that a, is that a race? And the answer to that is yes. It's both and. And here's kind of indication that he was writing to the 12 tribes. He was writing to an ethnic race. Uh, his, his brothers um, in, uh, in the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But he was also speaking to them that were, some were struggling to decide whether they were going to stay in Judaism or turn to Christianity. And some that had turned to Christianity and say, am I going to really live it out? And so he writes to them and he challenges them to understand God's plan for their life. And he begins right where they live. Have you ever noticed that life happens? I mean, things break when you don't want them to break. I was talking to one of our members this past week and I said, how's your week been? And they first gave the initial answer, oh, everything's going fine. I said, well, anything, anything interesting happening? He says, well, and they proceeded to talk about how they had, one of their children had lice that week. They contracted at school, and then they brought all the stuff home to, to wash all the clothes and all the bed sheets, and then they realized that, the, then right as they were doing that, the, 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 the washer broke. And, and it was one thing after another, just we're breaking, 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 breaking. Now, life happens. It happens to God's people and it happens to people who aren't God's people. And the issue is, well, how do we respond to that? Well, James starts his letter running, sprinting. He says, that we ought to be glad when our faith is put to the test. And he puts it this way in James 1, 2, a familiar verse probably to many of you. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Now, basically, the word trial is a code word for when bad things happen, when things break, when things aren't going along like you want them to go, when things aren't happening right, when things are happening in which are totally irritating to you or life debilitating to you. When those things happen, I want you to count them, evaluate them, not like everybody else does, but see that God has allowed those things to come into your life for a purpose. And because of that, you can count that as joy. You're, you're, you're on this adventure and you're trying to say, God, what is it you want to teach me next? How, how should I enjoy you more in the midst of no matter what is going on in my life? Now, there's only one way you can do that when the trial is a real trial, and that is by faith. Because your feelings will not always motivate you to do that. In fact, they will probably never motivate you to do that. 
And whether the, the trial is a minor trial or a major trial, and of course you know the difference between minor trials and major trials, just like surgery. A minor trial is what happens to you. A major trial is what happens to me, you know. Is that whether it's something simple or something bizarre, he says, I want you to count it as joy. And, and the issue is, okay, is, is what will God do with that trial? What will God do with that which happens to you that you don't enjoy or don't want to have happen to your life? And he begins this way. It will produce patience. In fact, that's exactly what he says in verse 3. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. How many like to be patient? I prefer other people being patient with me, all right? I don't necessarily want to be patient. I just want other people to be patient with me. It's interesting, the word for patience, and here's one time what I would say the, the, King, the old King James Bible uh, really helps us to understand patience in its emotional challenge because the word patience means long-suffering. Okay, you know, I, I'm fairly good at short suffering, but I don't like long suffering. Right. And, and long, the difference between long and short is just how long my patience is at that moment. You know, uh, if you know, I can be really patient when I'm not in a hurry. Anybody like that? But if I'm in a hurry, <laughs> I'm not patient at all. I was so proud of my wife this week. I didn't share this in the first service. She actually went through a yellow light this this week. Normally, I just cannot stand. I'm, I'm, I'm driving most of the time. And when yellow light's there, it, for me, it says, get through the intersection fast. That's what it, that's what it tells to me, all right? Uh, I, someone said, are you a dangerous driver? No, I'm, I'm, I, I'm an aggressive driver, right? No, actually, I, I, I try to measure my yellow lights. But if it's a yellow light, I don't necessarily mean I've got to stop right now, all right? My wife, we can be two feet from the intersection. It's a yellow light. She wants to put on the brakes. I'm thinking, no, you can go through. It's all right. Well, you know, part is because at times you want to get to a place. And, and what he's saying here, when, when your schedule is interrupted, when things go wrong, and the, pro, the thing that bothers me more about things when things break, it takes time to get them fixed. You know, and, and that time is going to be invested in, in that when I don't want to invest that time in that. And, and, and really what he's saying here is that the only way you're going to develop patience, the ability to, to suffer a little bit longer than you normally do, is for things to come in your life that will force you to have to do that. Now, as I was working that out, you know, we can have fun with it about going through yellow lights or whatever it might be, but, but we all know that the issues of, of patience or suffering long have some depth to it. You know, I said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty good at suffering short rather than suffering long. I, I'm also a little bit better... In, in suffering things that I can see the light at the end of the tunnel, when I go, I, I know it's going to get better. <laughs> I, I, I can see it's only going to last a, a little bit more time or a time I can feel. I, I guess I could wait that long. The, the parts that I, and really, I don't know if there's anything right now currently in my life. There's some things that, um, that are happening to people around me. But, uh, but I don't have too many things in my life where I, I don't see the end of the tunnel. But I know people who are there, and they're having to suffer long, knowing, apart from God doing the miraculous, and let's be honest about God's miraculous power. He can do anything and everything, but He does not always choose to do so. And there comes times in our life when we can almost kind of get the clue He's not going to do it. I mean, there are times where He, will, he has surprised me many times about doing the miraculous 
when I wasn't expecting it. But there comes along a time where we're saying, that person I'm praying for is probably not going to get better. Or, or this trial that, that they're in, they're going to have to remain in that maybe for years. And what God is saying here, the, the, the real person of great faith is not the person who moves mountains. It's the person who can look at that trial and say, it's not going to get better. But I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to count it as joy as best I can. So as we think about being practical, those times when you look at things and on a human level, it's not going to get better or measurably better. And you say, I'm going to live life to its fullest with joy because I can trust God that I can have joy in Him and not the circumstance. Now, if God blesses you or your loved one with a miracle, to God be the glory. But there's some things God simply wants to say, I'm going to trust you through it. I'm going to endure it. And I'm going to suffer long, truly be patient. And that's the challenge for us, whether it's one of those things that just irritating us or we know it's going to be a long, enduring marathon race. We ought to be glad when we encounter various trials. Why? Because it will produce in, in us something that cannot be produced by any other means. If patience could, only, could be experienced simply by praying for it, and I know there's a joke, don't pray for patience because God will bring you trials. You don't have to worry about it. God will bring you trials whether you pray for them or not, all right? They're going to come your way because life happens. But God wants to produce in us a quality that can only be experienced and developed by going through life. The thing is, that trial will either make you bitter or better based on your choice or my choice. Count it joy. It, it will produce the ability to endure Secondly, he goes on in this passage, he said, well, also will make you complete. Uh, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect, perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Remember, uh, as you were a child or as you were raising your children or you observed gran- uh, grandchildren or whatever, uh, particularly when you look back after you've been out of that stage for a while and you notice that when, when you have children around, children act like, Children, you ever notice that? <laughs> you know, children act like children. They, they at times can be very childish. And, and that's cute when you're a grandparent because you can always send them home, right? <laughs> but if they're for any length of time, say, man, I, I liked it when, you know, I can just play with them. But now their childishness is starting to wear old on me, you know. And, and yeah, I'm, glad, I'm glad when the parents come, they can take them home and they can deal with it. it. Is that there's a place where childishness is cute, but there's also a t- place where you're saying, I, I hope they mature. And God is saying, that's what trials do in us as well. It it matures us. It deepens us. It allows us to respond to life much more responsibly in a way that's helpful rather than hurtful. Let patience have its perfect work. It's the word telos. It has the idea of maturity. Let it have its perfect maturity that you may be mature and complete. There's nothing nothing missing in your walk with, with God. And then finally, why should we be glad when our faith is put to the test? It brings wisdom. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Sometimes we don't get God's help. And you know the reason why we don't get God's help? Because we don't ask for it. You know, sometimes the Christian life is not as complicated as we think. 
we're not getting God's support or strength or uh, ability to discern what's going on because we're not asking for His discernment and not going through the process by which that happens because His discernment comes from prayer, it, it comes from the Word of God, and it comes from life experiences. And there's a place where we need to, to build in to our wisdom from the wisdom of others as well. So how do we work out our faith? By first of all being glad when we, carry, when we encounter the tests that are found in our life. Secondly, it's by being honest with yourself about living out what you're learning. Look at James chapter 1. And, and this in contrast to Hebrews, which is filled with so much complexity, James I could probably preach a brother's sermon by just reading the entire book. I mean, he puts it about as plainly and as clearly as you can get it. He says in James 1.22, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. Now, what can somehow be built into the Christian experience? Because we hear it from day one. Every Christian knows you need to pray, you need to read your Bible, Okay. Now, the issue is, when we read our Bible, if we go to the Bible simply for the purpose of getting more information, we've missed the point. Now, God wants us to get the information, but the, the, the reason we get in the Bible is not primarily for information, but for transformation. He wants us to change how we now live. It's not for the purpose of getting on a game show and being able to answer the Bible trivia questions better than somebody else. I mean, the most embarrassing thing would be for a pastor to get on one of those things and not be able to answer the most simplest questions. But, but that's not the purpose. The purpose is to bring the Word of God in your life to live it out. And so James puts it very plainly, verse 23. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, they didn't have very good mirrors back then. They, you know, kind of polished bronze or metal, and they could basically see themselves. But the idea is, if you look in the mirror and you see something that needs to change, then you better what? Change it. And we, we all have, there's certain foods we eat at restaurants, and we wonder, did th- th- those pieces of food get in our, in our teeth? You know, I got something green hanging out of my, out of my mouth. And, and we're really tempted to, to go into the restroom or look at a mirror to make sure there's not food hanging out off our face. But can you imagine going in and doing that, seeing it go, okay, it's not that bad, and just leave it there. Well, that's what we do with the Word of God often. Well, yeah, that's, well, that's something out of, well, okay. And then you'd forget about it. Now, we all do that. I mean, it, that's a challenge, but see, our passion should be when we hear the Word of God and it points out something that's, that's distracting and, and hurtful to others, then God, by your grace and your strength, help, help me to change. That's the purpose. That, that we need to, to live out what we learn. Uh, he goes on in verse 25, but, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and, and it is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed or happy in what he does. Now, one of the reasons we really emphasize life groups, one of the reasons we have an outline for you on Sunday, one of the reasons we have questions for you in the back of the outline is that the most sobering thing for a preacher is to know that after I preach, you're going to forget just about everything in about you know, 24 hours. Okay? Now, if you, if you write some notes down, just the, just the practice of writing them down kind of submits it a little bit longer. But if you're really going to take the Word of God and, and remember it, then you need to do everything you can. You need to talk about it. You need to discuss it. You need to look at it again. 
then even if you're not a life group, make it a challenge to, to read, go through all the questions. I, I, you know, they don't take that long to go through them. In fact, I'm thinking this week, I'll give you more questions than I gave you. But whatever it might be, is it, 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 you want to interact with it. Not just take a, a sip at it once, once a week, or, but really spend time in it. And, and then realize then God now wants you to live it out. Look at one way to live it out, verse 27. A pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. That's a pretty, pretty powerful statement. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, the one is a lifestyle statement, be unspotted from the world. Our lives ought to have a different aroma about it in terms of how we live. But the first part is, is we can focus on the age breakdown. Basically, he's talking about younger people and older people, orphans and widows. But really, he's not making a, a statement about a particular type of ministry. He's talking about a particular type of people that we ought to live our life out to, and that's people in need, people who need a... A, a caring word. They need, a, they need a hug. They need a listening ear. They need people who, who show interest in them. I, I was hearing a, on a radio station as I was coming to, to church this morning, it was a story about this, actually a Christian artist. He said, the person that, that I want to see in heaven is a person I've never met here on earth. It's the person when my mom, who was challenged really to have an abortion, was eight months pregnant and this person walked across the street and shared Jesus with her, and she came to faith, and my life has been different since then. This person had impact you know, of a person in the womb before the person came out of the womb by simply showing love to a mother that was distraught and was kicked out of the home and showed love. And so whenever we reach out to people within our relational world and, and show that we care about them, that's pure and undefiled religion. It's not talking about a, a lot of religious activity. It's simply showing you care about people that might not be able to show any care back to you because they have very little to offer you. They're an orphan and a widow. But even if that person has a lot to offer you, but they don't have that which counts most, which is Jesus, you want to invest your life in them. Whether they're a believer or not a believer, you say, I want to care for people who need to be cared for. That's, that's living out what we learn, that we are... We are not to be sponges that no one steps on. We are to be sponges that when some people steps on it, it just we leak out on people around us. So being practical about our faith is, is number one, being glad when our, our faith is tested because that's the only way we're really going to grow in our walk with God. Number two is, is being committed to learning, to living out what we learn. Thirdly, and I don't think we're going to get through the rest of, me, of the, all the messages, this, this second service as well. It's being convinced that a faith that saves is a faith that shows. And here it really gets back to the gospel. And I would never want to leave anyone with the thought that as we study the Bible, it's all about a to-do list. Because it really isn't. Uh, we're not just teaching good morals or good ethics. We're teaching about a life with God. And, and what he does here, he speaks about the gospel here in a way a little bit different than the Apostle Paul. Look at James chapter 2, using the words of James. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Which is the idea, if your faith really is a faith that saves, it's going to show itself. Uh, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But the, the issue there is they don't act out that faith. But do you want to know, foolish man, that faith without works is what? 
It's dead. It has no life. It has no reality. It's not genuine. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Now, he wasn't saying that that works got him into heaven, but those works demonstrated that he had a faith, a true faith that got him into heaven and in a relationship with God. And so this, this, is, this is the challenge for us as we think about the life with God. It begins at a point of real relationship. And then we work it out. Uh, you know, one preacher said a long time ago, it's going to be interesting when we get to heaven. We're going to be surprised. We're going to be surprised about some of the people who made it. Um, and, and we're just going to be so excited that they made it. But we're also going to be surprised about some people who we thought were going to be there who didn't get there. Because their faith was not genuine. And Jesus put that that by their fruits you will know them. I don't know if I've said this recently, but I've got two orange trees. At least I think they're orange trees that I planted a couple years ago in my house. No fruit for years. You know, I, I feed them, pray for them, water them, and they just, they just look at me every time I look at them, all right? Well, we'll, we'll the, the test will be, does it ever bear any fruit? Now, maybe it'll only bear one orange compared to other trees that bear bushels of oranges. But eventually, if it's truly an orange tree, it's going to bear something. And, and that's what he's saying here. So Paul who says we're saved only by faith, not by work, just a gift of God, is not in contradiction to James here. It's just the issue that a true faith is a faith that will demonstrate itself in how it lives. So getting practical, we ought to be glad when our faith is tested. We ought to decide to be better rather than bitter, experience joy in the midst of the challenges of life. Number two, we ought to be uh, people who live what they learn. Number three, we ought to be a person that wants to have a faith that really shows. And then fourthly, we want to be more concerned about what comes out of our mouth than what we put in our mouth. Now, we are, in our culture, progressively becoming more health conscious. I don't know if we're becoming more healthy, but we're definitely becoming more health conscious. And I think that's a good thing. But for us, we need to recognize it's much more important about what comes out of our mouth than what we put into it. And this really speaks about the tongue. Look, go back to James chapter 1, and then we'll go back, and then we'll go to James 3. James 1, 19 says this, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to wrath. You know, someone has said, you know, there's a reason why God gave us one mouth and two ears. You know, we ought to listen twice as much as we speak. And, and so there's a, there's a place where we need to realize that our faith will demonstrate in terms of what comes out of our mouth. Not only what we say, but how we say it. And uh, if, if you ever want to feel just uh, humbled by you know, your journey, just kind of analyze your, your, your verbiage the past week. In fact, I didn't, I didn't say this in the first service, but it would be an interesting exercise to just record the things you, you say the week. Just write, write down every negative thing you say and just, you know, or, or write anything down that you say, well, if someone said that to me, I don't know if I'd quite respond in a very positive way. And, and, just, and, and just look at the things that come out of our mouth. We say, man, I, why did I ever say that? Look at James chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Even so the tongue is a little member and hosts great things. Sometimes powerful things come in little packages. See how great a forest a little fire kindling. 
In other words, it doesn't take much, just a little match, a little spark that will, will get a forest fire. Verse 6, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among your members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly evil, full of deadly poison. And again, even that statement is a a point. Whenever we look at the challenges of Scripture, they can't be done in the power of the flesh. They have to be done by the power of the Spirit. We need God to change these things in our life. Verse 9. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in the similitude or likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceed blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be sold. And so as we think about the child of God, it should be marked by how we speak. But look at uh, James chapter 2, verse 19. I mean, excuse me, verse 26. I'm sorry, James, did I say James chapter 2? James chapter 1. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. What an amazing statement. That our life ought to be measured by what comes out of our mouth. Now, our our time is basically up. And uh, we haven't looked at... I'll I'll actually give you the fill in the blank. I didn't give the fill in the blank for the other people, but... Those first service, I don't care about them. But the second service, I really care about you more. But the, number five is be, compa- be passionate about running from evil as you run to God. And uh, be passionate about running from evil as you run to God. Number six, be committed to the kind of prayer that accomplishes much. Now, we're not going to talk, talk about them, but they're in the text. So you can read about them this week. Though this week, you're also supposed to read First Peter. But, but I want to close with just a, a, a challenge for us all. As we think about... Even the things we've talked about more definitively, being, being joyful in the midst of trials, uh, learning and living, uh, living out what we learn, uh, having a faith that, that saves because it shows, being a person that's so concerned about controlling that muscle in our mouth that puts us in so much hot water and it hurts people. Uh, how do we do that? Well, we only do that by faith, but that faith must be a faith that operates, that that works itself out. So often we can believe in certain, certain things intellectually, but it doesn't result in any kind of life change. I, I was reading a story this past week that just kind of struck me. It was, a, it was a story about when our nation started to build skyscrapers. Um, and now we, it's, it's, we're so used to it when we go in, into certain cities particularly capitals, you'll see these huge buildings, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 stories high, whatever, you know, just humongous buildings. Uh, and not just, you know, one or two here. They're just, they populate the, the horizon. Well, I was reading about that when those first came into being, and particularly those, those skyscrapers in which they would, they would build it with these, these windows that would cover, you know, surrounding the building that once they, they were finished and they put the people in these offices, the, the people uh, believed that they were safe, but they didn't act like it. As they would be in this office uh, complex, everyone put all their, t- their, their desks and chairs together and they'd be right in the middle. 
you know, obviously that wasn't as productive as used for the space as they had intended it to be. And so they tried to, to uh, persuade them to move out into all the corners of the office. You know, they'd ask the basic question, well, do you believe that these windows will, are secure enough? Oh, yeah, we believe that. Well, then why don't you move out by the side? Well, because I'm afraid. I'm just filled with fear. I look out there and I, I, just, I'm, I just don't, I'm just, I just can't. And so they decided, well, just asking the simple question wasn't working. So they, they brought the building manager up and he explained how careful they were in setting all the, the window panes and how, how diligent they were. They were not uh, negligent in any way in putting the building together. And they said, are, are you convinced that what I'm saying is true? Yeah, we trust you. I'm, I'm sure you did a good job. Well, are you willing to move your desk out? No. <laughs> And so then they got a structural engineer to come in, and he did the same thing, explained to them, okay, just these, I know this glass looks like this glass that can be easily broken. We had a broken window this past week. We had to change something in the information center. The window pane got broke, was broken this, uh, about two weeks ago, and we had it fixed. And, and he said, these are not those kind of windows. These aren't these windows you have at home. You can't throw a rock through them. And, uh, and you convince, if I convince you that these, these windows are secure, and they go, they nodded their heads. Okay, now we move your desk out. No, 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 we're not going to move our desk out. So they brought a construction worker in. He said, I can fix this. And so he said, I want you to all stand about two feet from the window just for a moment. You don't have to live here. Just stand here for a moment. Put on some football gear, and he ran as hard as he could from one side of the building to the other and just slammed himself into the window. Of course, he just bounced back. And, and then he said, I, he said, I want to do this one more time for you. He went to the very far back of the, the building and ran as hard as he could in the window, just ran with, with putting all his energy and effort into that window and just bounced back. And he said, do you see what I just did? And he go, are you going to move your desk back? Sure, I'll move my desk back. And see, what it took was someone risking their life into that window, giving every energy they could to break through, which they were fearful would happen just by accident. And when it couldn't even be done on purpose, they now were able to now put their faith into action. And what we need to be is a, is a, is a people and as a church and as individuals who are, who are running into the windows of life, to test to see if God's promises are true, and also to help other people along the way who are watching, saying, if it works for them, it can work for me. Let's pray. Father, uh, so often life uh, seems easy when it's talked about, but it's not always easy when it has to be lived out. But, Father, we know that your promises are true, that you are faithful every day, every moment of every life. Uh, but, Father, we, we need to put your, your truth to the test. For some this morning, it might be, a, I need to put the invitation that he has given all uh, to come to him to test. I, I need to, even this morning, just to acknowledge you and, and ask you into my life. To pray a prayer like, dear Lord Jesus, I want to know you. Come into my life right now. Forgive me of my sins. I give my life fully and totally to you. I want to be your child. And the rest of us who have already made that decision, it's it maybe the challenges that we're going through now or will go through. Father, I want, to, I want to put you to the test because I want to count it joy that you're, you're going to do something good in my life for the sake of others. Help us to this week to be instruments of yours to, to reach out to those in need. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand this morning as we sing unto him.